my name's Steve Mackey. I'm the owner pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the western mountains of Maine. We're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the computer RX software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, RxSafe Rapid Pack strip packaging program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack pill packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in and I was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RxSafe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The term personalized medicine was introduced more than 20 years ago in a brief article which was published in the Wall Street Journal, and it was titled The New Era of Personalized Medicine, Targeting Drugs for Each Unique Genetic Profile. That same article was reprinted in The Oncologist shortly after, and the way we talk about the practice of medicine has forever changed. And if you are a listener of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, you'll know that our uh, station that's dedicated to pharmacogenomics in the hands of our pharmacists is one of our leading stations, PGX for Pharmacists, or that podcast, which is led by Dr. Sarami and Dr. Becky Winslow, is uh, growing. And it's been listed in the top 20 podcasts in genomic podcasts throughout the world, which is so exciting to see that pharmacists are truly making an impact in content development and in podcasting. And because of the popularity of that station, we are looking for other specialists, other podcasters, other pharmacists who really understand and the importance and the leverage and the capabilities that pharmacogenomics has on patient care and better outcomes. My name is Todd Yuri. I am the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and today I am excited to welcome one of our newest hosts, Nancy Gettlesad, uh, to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome, Nancy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing really well. It's been good to be corresponding to you. We met on LinkedIn, um, and I started following much of what you're doing and what you write and what you're talking about. And because of your interest in PGX, we had to get you involved. And I wanted you to open up and really talk about yourself and your background to our listeners. Share with them um, how you 
wanted to become a pharmacist and where you went to school in Cairo University. And um, let's let's tell the story about Nancy. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Todd, for having me on today. I appreciate it. I'm super excited to be part of this uh, great team. Uh, my name is Nancy Gedol Sayed. Um, I graduated pharmacy school from Cairo University uh, in 2005. Um, one funny thing about me that a lot of the listeners don't know, um, when I first joined the pharmacy school, I hated it so much. I did not want to become a pharmacist. I initially wanted to be an artist. So uh, my intention was not to succeed in pharmacy school at all. But then um, given that I am not a quitter, I decided that I was going to like it. So I did my best and I graduated in 2005 um, in the top 10% of my class was 3.9 GPA. And um, I didn't practice much back in Cairo. I moved to the States right after I graduated because I had a dream of becoming a U.S. pharmacist. Came to the U.S., started my journey of becoming um, certified here or getting my license here. Had to work through a lot of uh, hoops, jump a lot of hoops actually, and get some tests done and pass those. And got licensed in the state of New Jersey in 2011 and didn't like New Jersey much. It was not my environment to stay. So I decided to move to Texas. So I got licensed in the state of Texas in 2012. And I have been practicing here in Texas since then. I am a retail pharmacy manager and I founded my pharmacogenomic business, uh, Texas Pharmacogenomic Consulting, LLC. And I love it so much. Nancy, biomarkers are being used to identify patient populations. And for example, we may have a psychotropic medication being used, cardiovascular uh, opioid usage disorder with um, the sensitivity of absorption of any of those classifications of, of medications. Those who will be responders or non-responders to specific treatments based on their DNA, which is particularly important for transformative therapies that only work in a subset of the disease population. Some of those very small situations um, in, in, for example, pain management for sickle cell, uh, people that are, that are suffering with sickle cell, you, you want to make sure that they're able to absorb the medication as intended to, um, to mitigate, to manage pain. And when I think of a pharmacist and being able to use the tool of what is pharmacogenomics, and, and we've, we, we know that this is a proven science. This has provided <clears throat> clinicians much needed guidance on treatment decisions, and it's really resulting in caring for patients in specific disease state or chronic conditions. I want you to kind of open up today's conversation specifically with your experience in using pharmacogenomics of what the possibilities are for the pharmacist focused on PGX. Okay, so BGX have a great value in patient care. And if you ask me, I think it should be a standard of care in every practice. 
Um, but I need everyone to understand that BGX is not the ultimate solution. BGX is just a piece of the puzzle. Um, we need to keep in mind other factors when it comes to patient care and personalized medicine. However, when it comes to BGX, it's a great tool to uh, kind of guide clinicians through how a certain individual is going to metabolize certain medications or how they're going to absorb a certain medication, to what extent is it going to be absorbed, and that's based on their metabolic status and their genetic variant. So um, I'm going to talk briefly about a little story that I had with a patient of mine. And actually, that patient is the one that really motivated me to um, uh, found my a company, Texas Pharmacogenomics Consulting. Uh, he stood out to me with his struggle to find the right medication to his ADHD his doctor kept switching him between different medications every week within the week without even trying to find out why that poor individual wasn't responding to the medication and why he wasn't getting the effect that he was needing. And when I decided to um, have a PGX intervention with him, we really found out why he wasn't developing any effect to any of those medications. And it's just a simple, a simple test, a simple cheek swab. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not a painful needle stick. Um, and, you know, it's like a magic swab. You swipe them and you have a visibility to the inside of that patient and, or the individual to find out why uh, they're reacting the way they're reacting to certain medications. So BGX is a great tool. Like I said, it's a piece of the puzzle, but it can save lives. Uh, you can save someone from developing a fatal effect if they're not metabolizing the medication a certain way and if it's uh, accumulating in their system to a fatal dosage. So I think there's barriers to having PGX be something that is used more often. And one of those barriers is getting this paid for, uh, whether that be Medicaid, whether it be private insurance, um, whether it be Medicare Part uh, B or D. And my opinion of this is that I think it is it's unfortunate, that's the only word I can think of, that we're giving specific patients who are suffering, for example, with maybe a, a mental health disorder, we're giving them medications without assuring that that specific medication is going to work as intended. And weeks go by, possibly months go by, and hopefully not years go by, that people that are suffering with specific issues and conditions like, for example, mental health are struggling because medications are not absorbing and not metabolizing and not working as intended. So I really believe, and this is why this publication is so important, that we accelerate the pharmacist leadership in using pharmacogenomics where they see as the medication specialist, as where they see it fit and stop driving this from an insurance perspective in making the determination if it's necessary based on the algorithm that the CPT code is or the ICD-10 condition code is or whatever the electronic health record is communicating to the prior authorization situation with the insurer, we have to stop that. That is backwards. It needs to be the pharmacist communicating with the physician, the physician starting the prescription, 
the pharmacist responding to the physician saying, hey, heads up, uh, we need to run a, a, a PGX test on this specific medication because uh, six out of 10 times we have data that this specific medication is not working as intended. And by the way, everything I'm saying right now, Nancy, could be could be governed by a, a technology platform with all the data that's there and ready to be used. It's all there. And now actively have the pharmacist with your license, with your state license, with your uh, federal uh, level um, certifications, as well as the new certifications that are coming out in pharmacogenomics, that it's the pharmacist that is initiating that test. And you can communicate with the physician, the prescribing physician, and saying, hey, physician, requesting a test be run, and either it just be run based on the pharmacist's request as the medication specialist or the communication with the, with the, pharmac with the physician. In that scenario, where do you think the bottlenecks are in leveraging? Let's get payment out of the way for a second. Let's pretend that payment wasn't an issue. But this dynamic between physician and pharmacist, where does PGX fall in line and who should be leading it in as a tool? Just like you said, it's not the silver bullet, but it is a tool and it should be leveraged as so. But give me your opinion that you're actually seeing it in in day-to-day -day life with, with patients and the interaction that you have as a consultant in, in PGX. So... Um... I just want to say I couldn't agree more with you, Todd, when you said uh, that it's unfortunate that the uh, Bayers have to control what's covered and what's not. Um, and ultimately, uh, the, the decision should be the physicians and the pharmacists, you know, together uh, determining whether this specific individual needs a PGX test done or not. Um, the biggest barrier that I've seen during my practice in PGX um, and physicians being reluctant to really conduct the test and uh, make it part of their standard care is the education piece. A lot of the uh, physicians that I came across as I do doctor's detailing, you know, to bring awareness to the value of BGX and practices, uh, just tell me that they don't have enough education on that piece of the science. Uh, for them to apply it in their practices. A lot of them think that it's not really valuable and it's just a gimmick. Um, I was actually told by one physician that I'm a scammer, just trying to scam people and, you know, to collect money out of their pockets. So it's sad. Uh, I didn't take it personally. I just think he needs more education on PGX and the value that it could bring to his patients and his practice. So I think education is a key. Um, I'm not sure if there should, um, you know, institutions or organizations should develop some PGX educational material to a lot of physicians out there because coming from a pharmacist or from a pharmacist's point of view here, we are educated on PGX. We know the value that comes, we know our drugs, we know their pathways, pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamics and all that good stuff. Uh, but it's not something that a lot of physicians and clinicians are very well versed in. So um, if you ask me, it's the education, that's the piece. Uh, 
pay, you know, payers are playing a big role in this too, because a lot of poor individuals out there that really want to get the test done, they can't afford the price or the cost of the test. Um, and that could be a barrier too. The price of testing a PGX test is now averaging between $250 to $500. And the cost of that pharmacogenomic testing is required by the FDA and generally reimbursed by most insurance plans. And we know that cost always plays a part. But if you're taking a psychotropic, for example, you, you start that therapy. It was it was um, prescribed by your primary care, your psychiatrist, or someone, and you were to have data based on that very specific NDC code and that drug. We know how long that medication takes to titrate and to begin working as intended. We have the data, whatever that is. Let's pretend it's three weeks. Let's pretend it's four weeks. Um, if within that time period, taking that med every day, I would assume that a psychotropic would be a daily uh, medication. After the fourth week, how much money has been spent to not have the patient stabilized as intended on that very specific prescription? And when you add in, let's go with the high side, let's go with 500 bucks. If you add in $500 divided by four weeks or $500 divided by eight weeks or whatever it is, and you knew from the beginning that the patient was going to absorb whatever percentage of it needs to, to, to come to optimal therapy. <laughs> so I don't know what percentage it is, Nancy. Is it, is it 50%? Is it 75%? Is it 90%? Who knows? I mean, you, I'm going to turn around and ask you what percentage it has to be. But if you had that, data in front of you before you started that therapy. I'm not a clinician. I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not a provider, but I'm smart enough to look at the data and say, why the hell aren't we running these tests to ensure that we're not wasting money? Even from just a cost perspective, not even talking about the care of the patient, which is the most important part. So what do you say to that? Uh, it's sad. It's very sad, but I do agree with you. Uh, running the tests will avoid a lot of uh, suffering that the patient have to endure. It will decrease a lot of costs, healthcare costs with the trials and failures. Um, and then we'll cut back on the time it takes for that patient to develop the, the proper effect from the medication and you know to which it's intended to treat a certain condition. So it is saddening. And it's unfortunate, but I do agree with you. Um, let's say we don't care about the effect that the patient is going to develop, at least cut back on the healthcare cost. That's a lot. <laughs> yep. I mean, do yeah. something. Yeah. Either, either side of this coin, Nancy, we could go the cold route and just be a bunch of economists and talk about the economic ability to drive costs down with PGX. Or we could flip the other coin and say, this is just in the best interest of the patient, you know, for the care of the patient, for the treatment that's been prescribed. It's Which both. is where we come from as pharmacists. We and come from the care of the patient. I yep. mean, how many, like, I will say it a million times, we care for the patient. We're trying to do what's best for them.
There are over 120 specialty profiles listed on the AAMC's website, um, which is a um, which is a place for specialty profiles for physicians, for nurse practitioners, for pharmacists. And if you and your primary care got together and you had a very specific issue that you were dealing with, where you had to go see a OBGYN or somebody that was a cancer specialist or some orthopedic surgery or someone who specialized in a rare cancer disease or some chronic condition. My point is with PGX in as a tool belt for the pharmacist that it's the pharmacist that is certified in PGX who understands the specific disease state. And these verticals, Nancy, are going to expand. I think we're going to come out with a certification for a pharmacist that's going to be certified in psychotropic meds. We're going to have one that is certified in PGX for cardiovascular meds. We're going to have one that's a, a PGX specialist for um, opioids and for pain management. So I think there's going to be a continuation of these specialists but it's going to start with the common denominator as who is the medication expert, who understands how the meds are interacting with each other, who understands how long it takes to titrate, how long it takes to reach stabilization, how long it takes to you know reach a specific point in treatment where maybe the pharmacist says, hey, now it's maybe it's time to start decreasing the amount of this medication over a long period of time so that we can get uh, what's it called homeostasis of the entire patient system in place to ensure that maybe you don't need to stay on 60 milligrams of X medication. Maybe you could, maybe you could sustain on 10 milligrams of, but regardless, my point is for all the pharmacists listening out there, this is in your realm. You are the specialist. So why is it so hard? Do you think for the American medical association, for example, do you think it's like a, giving up the reins or they feel like they're giving up control when they're more than well uh, ready to give up a specialist in orthopedic surgery but why aren't they giving up the reins of of a medication specialist in the usage of pgx um if you ask me i think it's just a way of them to control the practice i could be wrong but that's how i personally feel about it I mean, and don't get me wrong, um, I've, I've worked with a lot of uh, clinicians and providers who are very well versed in PGX and understand the value of um, the test and the value of a, the pharmacist can bring to their table. Um, I'm actually working with a provider here in town who very much appreciates what I can uh provide to their patients when it comes to BGX testing. So they're not all the same. We're, we're not out here saying that, you know, the, the medical association is just all against it, but it just, uh, I think their education, it comes back to the education piece. If we keep uh, advocating for the value of PGX and uh, how it could save lives and how it could cut back on healthcare costs, uh, maybe we will be heard one day. So, what we need to keep doing is keep advocating and keep educating. Even the specialty category of <clears throat> pediatrics. Imagine a pharmacist that digs down into, we have 1,450 board certified pediatric pharmacists in the country. And of that 
of that 1,450 specialists that focus on our children and how medications are much more sensitive to the, you know, to the baby, to the three-year-old, to the six-year-old, to the 15-year-old, and how they metabolize medication, once again, that test could be run to ensure if it's an antidepressant or if it's a blood disorder or if it's a pain management order, that it, we, we at least have the known evidence-based data that decisions can be communicated back to the physician and saying, here's what's happening with this child. And if I'm a parent and you're about to give my ch child a medication that shows up on that FDA biomarker categoric list, I'm going to be screaming and yelling to do that test and to, um, and to get the prior auth, you know, done by the insurance company to cover it because I want the medication to work as intended. I want it. I want all the best data for my child to be out front and to be accessible by my pharmacist and my physician and my pediatrician to make the best decisions. So once again, it's, it, we're not talking about science fiction anymore. This is real. It's happening. It's here. It's available. But I hear too many people making excuses as to why it's not front and center in healthcare today. And, I, and I, I'm hoping that these podcasts and these discussions and our posts on LinkedIn and our posts on social media will help to um, disintegrate those obstacles. That's my hope too, Todd. And um, that's what I hope to provide coming here uh, on board with the PGX for Pharmacists podcast is to try to provide as much uh, valuable and fact-based information about BGX as possible. Uh, hopefully it will um, provide some maybe pathway for providers and clinicians to follow. So what subjects are you going to be bringing to the table mm -hmm. as becoming part of this amazing team Dr. Benaz Sarami, Dr. Becky Winslow, they've really been leading um, PGX for pharmacists. What other, um, what other subjects are you gonna help dig into? So my hopes are to uh, provide as um, much fact-based information about PGX and its application and uh, practices as possible. Uh, I will try to focus on maybe a certain therapeutic area or maybe a certain um, medication class and then we'll dig deeper there um, talk about the biomarkers and the labeling when it comes to the fda approval so it's going to be more of a fact-based uh, discussions and i would love to get feedback from my listeners on what they would like me to improve on or what they would like me to discuss and we'll go from there nancy we're excited to have you as part of this uh wait to me i don't think we can talk enough about it i love talking about it i want to dig into biomarker specific research based on a disease state based on a condition based on something that uh, that we know a, a bucket of uh, patients are definitely going through because i think the more that we talk about this the more that we're going to have um, pharmacists rise and lead in, in using PGX and improving to our payers, proving to our insurance people and our administrators, as well as our physician partners that you need to leave this in the hands of the medication specialist because that's where it belongs. And, and that's who best is to be using this tool so that we can allow primary care who's so busy to do what they do best, which is um, 
kicking the, 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 the treatments off to starting the treatments to implementing the treatments and, and allowing your specialist to take control of the treatment and run with it and make sure that the diagnostics are in place. So Nancy, this is exciting and, and I'm glad that you're a part of this. Thank you so much, Todd. I'm excited and thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to join a great team and uh, bring more awareness to the PGX realm. Absolutely. In the show notes, you will have a way to link up with Nancy and her LinkedIn. Um, please go to PGX4, the number four, rx.com. Once again, that's PGX, the number four, rx.com. And leave us a review of the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. Um, and then help us promote these uh, discussions with physicians, with nurse practitioners, with administrators, and with other pharmacists. And, um, and, and you as a pharmacist that are out there listening right now are pharmacy technicians. We absolutely love you. We love the fact of what you do for our public, for our 300 million plus Americans that are out there. There's only 311,000 active pharmacists. So you're under a tremendous amount of pressure. We're here to help you. If there's anything that you need from us, please look us up on social media at Pharmacy Podcast. And with that, we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit PGX4RX.com. That's PGX4RX.com.